Hello, and welcome to Resolutions, a podcast produced by the ABA section of Dispute Resolution. I'm one of your hosts, Adam Martin, and today I'll be talking with John Lee, Ombuds at the University of California, San Francisco, and the ABA Dispute Resolution Ombuds Committee Chair, and Ken Skodacek, Ombuds at the U.S. FDA, and the ABA Dispute Resolution Ombuds Day Subcommittee Chair. We'll be discussing the upcoming Ombuds Day 2020, which takes place virtually on October 8, 2020. Good afternoon, John and Ken, and thank you for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thank you, Adam. Yep. So if you've listened to the podcast before, the first thing we like to do is give a brief introduction um, to each of our guests um, and the main questions of interest to people listening to the Dispute Resolution podcast is what led you to ADR? How did you get into ADR generally? And then narrowing it to your fields, how did you become an ombudsperson? Uh, yeah, hi. Um, so yeah, this is John. Uh, so um, like many of us, uh, maybe many of you listening, um, I was first introduced uh, to ADR formally uh, when I was in law school. Um, I went to law school at the University of New Mexico School of Law. And uh, it was my uh, second year, uh, was really trying to kind of figure out, uh, you know, what I was doing in law school and, and where I wanted to head. And um, took a mediation course that really landed for me. Um, and through that mediation course, um, through my professor who taught that, um, he uh, connected me with um, the, the ombuds person or the director of the ombuds office at the University of New Mexico. Um, and so I ended up doing two semesters of internship um, in that office. Uh, and, and how I became an ombuds person is that uh, the winter that I graduated, um, there just so happened to be an opening in that office. And so I applied for that and, and got that position. Uh, worked there until I transitioned to my current position at the University of California, San Francisco. So it's sort of a, a very kind of typical, I guess, way uh, to get into ADR and ombuds work, um, but um, one that uh, sort of was laced with some good luck and, and some good people who helped me along the way. Thank you, John. Uh, Ken, would you like to tell us about your journey to ADR and um, ombudsmanship? Sure, sure. Thanks, Adam. So yeah, I have a very different background. I think this is one of the things that makes uh, being an ombud so interesting is uh, the unique backgrounds that everyone has. So I'm actually an engineer by training. So I started my career as an engineer that uh, was designing cardiac pacemakers. Now you usually don't think of that when you think of ombuds. Uh, but I worked in a variety of roles in medical device companies, evaluating medical devices, and then submitting the results of those evaluations to FDA, where I work now, to request authorization for our company to sell those products in the U.S. market. Uh, and I happened to live in Washington, D.C., and the company I was working for was winding down its operations as it completed the evaluation of our product. I was looking for a new position and considered working for another small company. However, I wanted to try something new. And at the time, there happened to be a position open in the branch that regulated the industry where I worked. So I decided I couldn't pass up on the opportunity. And my former colleagues in the industry thought that I was going to the dark side. And uh, my new colleagues at FDA thought I might be a spy. Uh, however, I would, uh, I would say that everyone eventually appreciated the benefits to my decision after working with the agency for a few years. So I worked in a variety of different positions, but uh, always gravitated to opportunities to bring people together to improve communications and mutual understanding. Uh, and during that time, I also received uh, training as a professional coach and some training in human-centered design, which is focused on understanding human interactions, which are at the heart of any process before proposing solutions. 
and, and after that time, I happened to interact with the Ombuds for our center and could see myself serving in a role. Uh, and that was over two years ago. And now I have a greater appreciation of uh, how little I understood what Ombuds did at the time and how much more there is to learn uh, going forward. Great. And one thing that I always notice when I talk to people about how they got into, you know, ADR and, you know, their specific niche within ADR is uh, people come from such varied backgrounds. I mean, you both are ombudspersons, but you had very different paths to get there. And that's, that's one thing I always find interesting and refreshing about uh, ADR is the variety of backgrounds um, that people, people have. So it's always good to hear. Yeah. And and, and maybe, Adam, if I could add something, uh, this might sound a little strange, but uh, I actually enjoy conflict, or let me rephrase that. So I actually enjoy the challenge associated with working to resolve conflicts. And uh, one of the things I always think of when I'm trying to describe the Ombuds role is there's this uh, commercial that the Marine Corps uses, uh, something like uh, Towards the Sound of Chaos, where they show the soldiers running into the dust cloud. And I always like to think of Ombuds as individuals that specialize in running towards rather than away from conflicts in hope of learning about and understanding those conflicts in order to find that resolution. I think there's some uh, uh, mutual interest for all ombuds to sort of want to take on those roles. And that, that certainly isn't uh, the norm. Many people like to avoid conflicts and, and engaging in those situations. Great. And I, I look forward to your um, ombuds uh, commercial in that vein. <laughs> be great. I'm realizing now that we've talked um, a lot about how you both became Ombuds persons, and I'm going to switch the name Ombuds, Ombuds persons, etc. Um, but a lot of our listeners may not know exactly what it means to be an Ombuds. And last year I talked with Liz Hill at length about, you know, different types of Ombuds persons and different styles. Um, and we're going to link to that in, in the description of this podcast if someone wants more information about that. Um, but to orient some of our listeners who may not be as familiar with what an ombudsperson does, could, could you give kind of an elevator pitch or a broad overview of what that term means? Sure. So uh, it's, it's Scandinavian or uh, in particular Swedish in origin. Um, and you know, some of the uh, European history scholars uh, listening might have further or additional information to this, but uh, this is what I've heard um, and what I've learned uh, is that um, its origins, uh, it's, it's sort of a portmanteau of, of the term representative. And historically, it, uh, it was a, uh, a position um, where that really heard the grievances of, um, of certain people and uh, quite literally represented those grievances to uh, people in positions of power um, or people who had decision-making authority uh, as a way to um, both safely communicate those grievances, um, mitigate some of the risk that people might feel about speaking up, uh, but also to give um, you know, those in positions of power uh, an ability to take an accurate temperature of the impact of their decisions um, or sort of the maybe unintended consequences of policies that they've created. Um, so historically speaking, it really had that intermediary role and many uh, modern versions of ombuds. Um, oh, by the way, uh, Adam, um, using terms like ombuds or ombudsperson or ombudsman, uh, they're very interchangeable at this point. Um, I personally prefer ombuds or ombudsperson simply because it's gender neutral. 
but uh, many people uh, still use the term ombudsman because of its connection to sort of the original um, uh, the original language. Uh, I've also heard that the man in ombudsman from the original source is actually not a gendered term. That that's sort of what's how it's kind of turned into as it's moved its way into modern American society. So there's just a lot of uh, dialogue and discussion going around that. Um, but I just wanted to add that in. Uh, anyway, just to kind of wrap up, um, a lot of modern ombuds really uh, still imbue the spirit of that original intent, um, where listening is a core practice of any ombuds person uh, and really um, uh, delivering those messages, delivering that feedback, something that we in our field uh, refer to as upward feedback uh, to people in positions of, of power. Um, that is still a core tenant and a core function of, of this role. And this is Ken. Maybe I'll, I'll uh, that's a great uh, description, John. Maybe I'll, I'll try to distill it even further because I guess I get a lot of questions. As I mentioned before, I worked in the industry for about 20 years and then worked for FDA for 10 years before starting in the role of ombuds. And I would say, you know, 90 to 95 percent of those constituents that we serve have never heard of us before or interacted with the ombuds uh, within our organization. So I try to keep it really uh, short and sweet. And I sort of describe it as a confidential, independent, uh, impartial service that helps to prevent and resolve conflicts. And I just like pause there, let it sink in and help people appreciate, oh, you know, you, you help solve problems. And, and I think that helps people uh, see us as even more approachable than maybe sort of our classical or historical uh, perspective. I also like to think of it as maybe uh, an expert customer service representative. I don't know if you've ever had some frustrations with uh, a service provider, maybe your phone, mobile phone service provider or internet service provider, and you just get really frustrated, but somehow you get somebody on the phone that's so helpful that just sort of tries to understand the issue and tries to walk you through whatever is happening and provide you with some recommendations to help you feel like your issue is going to get resolved. And I kind of think of an ombuds uh, in that same way. So, we also sort of provide maybe a sounding board for hearing the concerns, especially in, where in cases where it can be difficult to bring that concern directly to the organization or the individual that's on the other side of the conflict. So working with a regulatory agency, I uh, like to use the analogy of maybe arguing with a police officer that pulls you over for a speeding ticket. And there might be some requirement that the equipment being used to measure the speed of your vehicle requires calibration on a routine basis. And it's possible that that equipment hadn't been calibrated and the citation that the officer issues you isn't going to be valid because of that issue. However, right or wrong, it can be challenging and possibly detrimental to initiate that conflict, especially at that moment in time. And I think of it as resolving conflicts could be easier if you could just hit the pause button and consult with a professional, whether that's you know getting formal legal counsel or an informal conversation with an ombuds just simply discuss uh, and consider options for resolving the conflict before deciding how you want to proceed. Well, thank you, Ken. That's, and John as well. Those are both very uh, different, but also uh, kind of highlights kind of the distinctions and the variance in the nature of what an ombudsperson means. Let's dig in a little bit more to kind of the tight, the, the structure of what an ombudsperson does or what an ombuds, what ombuds means in a practical sense. Uh, as opposed to an uh, etymological sense. Um, so, and 
my understanding is very high level. You guys are the experts, not me. But as, as I know, um, there are three kind of main or primary types of ombuds um, persons um, and it's in terms of style. And it, those are the traditional, um, the organizational and the active style. And I know there are other um, different kinds as well, but I think those are the three uh, biggest or primary or whatever you want to categorize them as. So do you want to just talk a little bit about what those different styles mean and how they differ from each other and which kind of you would use in your, in, in your work? Sure, Adam. So of those main three types, um, I'll start with the similarities. Uh, all of those types of ombuds, um, the, the two things that they have in common are that they're confidential resources and that they should be independent. Uh, so they should operate independently of external forces, such as uh, a C-suite uh, board of directors or, or the legislature, um, obviously because if they're not independent, both optically and functionally, um, people aren't going to trust that office to hear, you know, what, what's going wrong or, or what, uh, what might not be, um, you know, sitting well with people. So, uh, so those are the things that they have in common. Um, where uh, they, they start to distinguish in terms of um, their roles and what they're allowed to do or what they're supposed to do. And I'll kind of walk through those quickly. The traditional role, as you refer to it, um, in, in our field, we often refer to it as the classical ombudsperson. Uh, and that classical uh, term, uh, I, I believe it exists because it most closely models the, um, that European model that, that uh, where it originated. Um, that classical model, one of the distinguishing features is a classical ombuds would have subpoena authority, for example. So if they're conducting an investigation, um, they, they can seek people out to interview them and to get information in order to conduct that, inf uh, that investigation. Uh, other, other ombuds don't have investigatory authority um, and then because of that, they, they don't subpoena uh, powers. The organizational ombuds is an example of that where an organizational ombuds is, uh, is very informal and very um, neutral. And through that informality, uh, the, ombuds does, the organizational ombuds doesn't have authority to make decisions. Uh, it doesn't have any authority whatsoever. Um, and so uh, that makes them uh, a relatively safe place to go in the organization. Um, since, you know, uh, if someone says something to an organizational ombud, the organizational ombuds should not and does not have authority to take that and do something with it. Uh, so the hallmark, at least for me, uh, in the organizational model is that it's really about party uh, self-empowerment and self-determination. Uh, a lot of the mediators out there, you'll, you'll understand what that, you know, what that means. Um, and then the advocate model is truly that it's an advocate. So uh, unlike the organizational um, ombuds who doesn't have authority to do anything, and unlike the classical ombuds that needs to remain neutral in order to conduct a, a fair investigation, an advocate ombuds does take a side and is the uh, person who would hear about agrees and really champion that cause. So a great example of an advocate ombuds person are the advocates, or excuse me, the ombuds that work in long-term care facilities. 
who may hear about abuse that's going on in facilities and then really uh, take that feedback and champion for change or accountability. So those are the primary distinctions between uh, those type. Um, as for me and do in my work, um, uh, I am an organizational ombuds. And so at UCSF, um, I function confidentially. Our office is independent. Um, however, we are also informal and uh, neutral. So I don't do any advocacy support and I don't have any um, institutional authority. But what I really can do is help people uh, generate options on how to move through conflict or if there's feedback that the, um, the leadership of the university or of the medical institution um, needs to hear uh, and we can identify some trends and some, some issues that might be uh, sort of culminating on an aggregate level, deliver that information to hopefully influence um, equitable and positive. That's sort of an, uh, an overview of the three different types. Uh, I don't know if Ken has any um, additional things since uh, uh, he works uh, sort of in a different alignment than I do in higher education and in medical education. Yeah, yeah, thanks, John. I mean, yeah, I think it's interesting the, the different types is something that I, I distilled down uh, differently. So I tried to distill them down after meeting and uh, interacting with a number of ombuds into sort of uh, externally facing where you're trying to uh, interact with external constituents to your organization. Maybe they have some concerns about how your organization is uh, treating them or serving them. And then you have those that are focused on uh, internal uh, disputes, more like a human resources professional that might uh, help resolve interpersonal conflicts between staff and their supervisors. And I think maybe uh, it's a reflection because that's some of the things that we do. So uh, we also don't have any formal authority, much as uh, John described for the organizational side, uh, but we primarily serve external constituents. So we're trying to work with, say, medical device manufacturers or patients that I'm reaching out to our organization. And I think uh, most importantly, I think every ombuds uh, program handles things slightly differently. So we also have some internal functions, but they're not as uh, broad as those that you might see in a university setting. Uh, so again, uh, it's interesting. I think Adam too, you also use the word style when you're describing the different types. And I think style is, is, is a good way to think about it because even if you have two ombuds that work in the same sort of type of role, uh, the way they approach that role and how they interact and how they work to resolve conflicts can sometimes be very, very different. I'm a uh, get to know you type of person. So when somebody calls me, usually I'm the first thing I wanna know is, uh, hey, before we get to your uh, concern, can you just tell me a little bit about yourself and uh, you know what your background is? And I just think it helps uh, sort of diffuse the situation or maybe better understand where they're coming from. Where I have colleagues that work within uh, my agency or in my center and they're much more likely to just say, hey, let's cut straight to the point uh, and let's discuss what the issue is or, or maybe not to engage them via phone. I'm a, let's pick up the phone, but uh, they'll engage them via email. So I think it's not only the different types of ombuds, but the styles uh, can vary widely even within the same organization. Yeah, that's a really good point, Ken. And I think that's common with a lot of different areas in ADR. You know, you hear about, you know, arbitrators who have very different styles and who manage proceedings very differently. Yeah, I think I think style is an important aspect of what it means to be 
um, an ombudsperson or another kind of um, neutral in ADR. So John, you work for the University of California, San Francisco, and Ken, you work for the, the FDA. And I think maybe a common misperception would be that, you know, you're a little bit siloed in terms of the issues that you deal with. So John, my understanding is that you don't deal solely with like higher ed issues and Ken, you know, I don't think you deal solely with like food and drug issues. So I think, so what are the kinds of the issues that you, you each see in your respective positions? Yeah, so UCSF is a very complex organization in that there is a really um, advanced, uh, competitive, if I can say, uh, medical education institution that's also connected with um, a, a really robust, um, you know, hospital and medical services provider um, that serves San Francisco. So as the Ombuds office, we serve anyone with a UCSF badge, uh, whether you're a first year medical student or whether you're, you know, a cardiac surgeon who's been there for decades. Uh, um, so the common issues, you know, that we see um, really connect uh, often to the sort of the hierarchy that's built into medicine uh, that, that is, you know, it's seen both on the practitioner side as, as well as the education side. Um, and so anywhere there's a very uh, palpable power differential um, because of that hierarchy, uh, a lot of conflicts stem from those power differentials. And part of the Ombud's role is to help people navigate through that hierarchy that has been institutionalized for a very long time, um, both in our country and beyond. Uh, but also what, you know, uh, what can be done to be, you know, flexible or creative, uh, even around, um, or like within that hierarchy and within that power structure. Uh, so just to be more, a little more concrete, uh, one example that we often see a lot are the conflicts between um, fellows and postdocs or researchers in a lab and the, the principal investigator, the PI of that lab. Uh, in medicine, PIs, um, have basically full authority to run their lab the way they choose. Uh, and so when there are differences of opinion or research conflicts, uh, procedural issues, uh, even disputes over you know, lab resources or lab space, uh, oftentimes postdocs and fellows and grad students don't feel like they have a lot of say. Uh, and so as the ombuds, uh, as the alternative dispute resolution person who's facilitating a potential conflict or helping manage a potential conflict. Uh, you know, what are the relational issues? Ken mentioned, you know, that uh, a lot of ombuds work is relational. So what are some of the relational issues that can be brought in or taken out to help, you know, find a path forward? Uh, what are some of the policies that are at play? Uh, I think the role of the ombuds is, is to be very dynamic and have a lot of awareness of the different levels of conflict um, from the relational to the institutional and to know when and how to introduce those into a potential conversation uh, so that um, the parties can really discover what works for them. You know, is the relationship more important in this moment to maintain? If so, you know, that results in different kinds of conversations. 
Is it the hierarchy and the power structure that needs to be maintained? Well, that requires a different, um, you know, a different skill and, and ask from each of the parties. And, and the ombuds has to really listen carefully to be able to adjust to the, you know, the, the way that, to the temperature that the parties are setting, so to speak, in the room. Um, so basically, uh, again, those power differentials and mitigating the negative impacts of power differentials, um, uh, that's a big part of where the conflicts that I see at UCSF uh, come up. Thanks, John. And Ken, what's kind of the, what kinds of disputes do you, do you see at the FDA? And you know, is it similar from a structural perspective that John described, or do you have different issues come up? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, it's interesting, even when you uh, said FDA, you, know, you, you mentioned food and drugs. So, you know, FDA regulates a broad variety of different products, and I actually have absolutely nothing to do with food or drugs. So uh, we also regulate uh, medical devices. So uh, I work in the Center for Devices in the Ombuds program there. We actually have uh, a separate uh, ombuds and ombuds program that handles things at the FDA level and each of the individual uh, centers within the FDA handles different types of products. Uh, again, I, I learned more about the organization and how those outside of our organization misunderstand how, how things work. Uh, we primarily serve external constituents, uh, medical device manufacturers and patients. <clears throat> uh, those individuals typically want one or two outcomes. Either they want to make their product available or to have access to that product, or two, they want FDA to stop other people from getting the product. Maybe they had a bad experience with that product and they don't want it uh, to be that risk to be uh, given to other uh, individual patients, or uh, maybe there's something wrong with uh, what their competitors are doing and they want another product taken off of the market. Maybe uh, if you're a medical device manufacturer and you're following all the regulatory requirements, and you see your competitor that's making a very similar product but is cutting corners or doing something wrong, you want their product taken off the market. So those are basically, the, I would say, the two types of groups that are uh, contacting us. Uh, but we also have, again, uh, service some internal constituents. So staff and leaders at various levels of our organization sometimes come to us to help resolve scientific and regulatory disputes. In contrast to uh, what John was describing, we don't handle the sort of interpersonal conflicts or uh, staff and staff and supervisor conflicts in the same way. Uh, many people at FDA uh, share offices, or at least they did before we were all working at home uh, as a result of COVID. And I always joke with staff, like, if you don't like the person you're sitting with or the food they eat or the assignments that you're getting from your boss, uh, you're welcome to contact me. That's not something that we typically handle per se, but I'll get you to the right people within our organization that can help you. But we don't focus on those issues at all. Uh, in any case, we always try to work to better understand the concerns, uh, provide them with options and recommendations, and again, to serve as a sounding board for actions that they might be considering uh, taking to achieve their goals. Uh, in some cases, we're the ones that they that take the time to actively listen to someone that might have contacted numerous individuals at all levels of the organization. So sometimes uh, someone might get referred to us and they've contacted, you know, someone at the staff level, their boss, their boss's boss, the office director, the center director, the commissioner of FDA, uh, the head of uh, Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, and they're 
bombarding everyone with calls and emails. And we're typically the ones that reach out and say, hey, I'm, I'm here to, to hear what your concern is. And sometimes uh, they haven't heard back from anyone or uh, they're you know, just feeling generally frustrated. And I think we try to have them feel heard and try to give them some recommendations. You know, maybe, maybe it's a patient that had a bad experience with their doctor and they want FDA to take actions against that, their physician. And we don't regulate physicians and physician practices. That's something that's outside of our scope. And simply uh, hearing from someone that that's the way things are uh, can be helpful. Just listening to both of the descriptions of your work, it's what's fascinating to me is you both feel the same, you both have the same title essentially, and you both feel sort of the same role, but you're, you're almost opposite in the fact that, you know, John deals with a lot of internal um, university hierarchical issues, but Ken, the work that you're describing seems to be very external. You're dealing with issues that are kind of within the purview of the FDA's um, governance. And you, say, you, you seem to say you do less with those internal types of conflicts. And I just think it's fascinating that you both have the same job, but they're vastly different, even I think on a conceptual level in what you actually um, perform. Or the yeah, work it's, also interesting. it's also interesting too, because I think uh, when I hear uh, from people like John or other people that handle those conflicts, I think I would not want their job. That is not something that I am interested in working on or resolving. And someone like John might hear the type of things that I do that are, again, more regulatory interpretation and understanding the process. Uh, he might not be interested. Or I would say it differently. Like, like John has a, a, a legal background, right? He, he's a lawyer by training. I'm an engineer by training. And we both uh, like resolving conflicts and working, but our backgrounds and our expertise is very different. So I think I would probably fail miserably at what John is doing. And John might struggle in my job just because he doesn't know what the regulations are. He doesn't know the perspective of the medical device manufacturer or the agency. So I think we all try to uh, sort of navigate our ways uh, to find a role where we can have an impact and all on, but they're looking to sort of have that positive impact. Yeah, Ken, I mean, my background uh, prior to law was art and Jungian psychoanalysis. And so any engineering stuff is all, has always been way over my head. So I'm glad that you exist and that, you know, you're, it sounds like you're where you need to be. Uh, Adam, I think it goes back to what you were talking about uh, when you were describing mediation and how there are different styles of mediation, I, I think that it's pretty analogous with Ombud's work. There's a, there's a, it's a big tent. There's a lot of diversity, not just in terms of style, but uh, even the structure of a particular Ombud's job. Um, and, it's, uh, and that position for relationship, both internally and externally, uh, that's been a big part of um, Ombuds Day and a big part of the ABA Ombuds Committee is to uh, both simultaneously celebrate the diversity in our profession uh, and also um, work towards uh, lifting the fog that, that such diversity sometimes creates. So I know Ombuds Day is coming up and there had to be some changes due to COVID-19, um, but a more general question, how have your offices been doing, uh, been dealing with the effects of COVID-19 and what changes have you implemented or that do you have planned in the future? So uh, as I might've mentioned before, you know, many of the products that are 
related to the nation's response to COVID-19 are regulated by FDA Center for Devices. Uh, in general, for example, the uh, agency FDA has regulatory oversight of products being valued to treat COVID like drugs and vaccines. In addition, products like surgical masks, diagnostic tests, ventilators, all the things you hear about in the news are regulated by the center where I work. Uh, as a result, numerous new manufacturers are working to develop, manufacture, or import products into the U.S. And many of these organizations may be really good at what they do, uh, may have great ideas, but they are totally unfamiliar with the relevant regulatory requirements. Uh, so the center has established uh, various groups and processes to support the center's efforts to respond to these needs. Uh, but a lot of those processes are new, so sometimes the staff are struggling to understand, uh, you know, how to handle someone's question or how to uh, help someone along. And I can also sometimes struggle now to find the right person. So some of my understanding of how the organization works uh, has to evolve because of the way we're working. Uh, as I mentioned before, I'm kind of a get-to-know-you person. I'm a try to understand where they're coming from. And in the past, I would stop by someone's office just to say, hey, my name's Ken. I don't know if you met me uh, or, or talked with me before, but uh, hey, I'd like to get to know you a little bit better. And now with COVID-19, I have to call people and then they like, who's this Ken guy is their first thought. And if I email them, they're like, oh, what did I do wrong? Why is the ombuds contacting me? So it represents a definite challenge in trying to uh, interact with people and sort of diffuse situations when you can't stop by. Uh, but I'll go back to, I mean, I think many people uh, are contacting FDA now. So somebody who might have gotten 100 emails in their mailbox uh, before COVID is now getting 4,000 emails in their mailbox. And their ability to sort of respond to everyone quickly can be very, very challenging. Uh, and the center is trying to focus on, I, I like to describe it as the companies that are close to crossing the finish line, trying to work with those companies to get them across the finish line and get those products to U.S. patients. And people that are maybe stumbling out of the starting blocks and don't necessarily have the necessary expertise, the agency doesn't necessarily have resources to help everyone equally. And I think it can be frustrating for those. Uh, again, they might have a great idea, but they just don't have the manpower or expertise to, to move things forward. Right. Uh, I'll start by putting in a plug for the upcoming edition of the ABA DR newsletter, Just Resolutions. Uh, the September 2020 issue is being curated by the Ombuds Committee. Uh, and in response to this question of how offices are dealing with COVID-19, we've got two articles uh, in that issue um, authored by uh, long-term care ombuds who uh, are dealing with the impact of uh, COVID-19 on long-term care facilities. So uh, be on the lookout for that. that that'll be a good insight into how uh, the long-term care advocate ombuds have really had to adjust to the demands uh, that the pandemic is creating, um, especially in that population. On the organizational ombuds level, many um, higher education ombuds are organizational ombuds. And uh, because of the nature of budget cuts and funding issues that higher education institutions are, are having uh, across the country, uh, the the, the effects of COVID-19 are, you know, those financial effects are really putting a lot of offices uh, either in jeopardy altogether or, or at least they're facing um, 
they're, you know, they're looking down some not so great numbers uh, for their offices. So uh, I think that the big um, shift that a lot of higher ed ombuds have had to make is, uh, especially in a virtual environment, how to reinforce their value proposition. Um, and, you know, by offering trainings and webinars uh, to their, you know, to the people that they serve, uh, things of that nature. Um, since so much of the organizational ombuds work is in-person, one-on-one, uh, or, you know, two, two and one, uh, that kind of format. Um, so a lot of adjustments have had to be made. Uh, confidentiality has become a big issue um, with Zoom and with other video conferencing platforms. How can an ombuds maintain or guarantee confidentiality to someone who seeks their services? Uh, so that's been, you know, a, an ongoing dialogue. Um, at UCSF, because again, we're a medical institution, um, our services have continued uh, simply because unlike other schools in the country, uh, UCSF has, has actually ramped up, um, at least on the, the medical center side, uh, as you know, it is one of the institutions that's really, that, that is serving COVID patients. So, uh, so a lot of the unique stressors that come from, um, you know, frontline and essential workers uh, working during a pandemic, um, you know, come, you know, come up. Uh, one thing that I've personally noticed is that uh, uh, more people are reaching out to services like therapists or ombuds or other sort of external services like that because they're quarantining from their families. So they're not really able to seek support uh, from their homes and from the people in their inner circles the way they normally would. And so that's where uh, reaching out to services like an ombuds office, um, you know, become uh, important in those situations. So uh, it's, you know, COVID as, you know, it has with everyone in the world has shifted a lot of things uh, and has shifted the things that we're worried about, the things that we pay attention to, uh, and ombuds are, are, are right there with everyone else uh, in all of that. Yeah, Adam, and, and maybe I'll add too, I think, uh, a lot of the strengths that ombuds have in soft skills, uh, their ability to connect with people can be limited if you have to use technology, right? So uh, for a lot of webinars or interactions that I have with ombuds, they're comfortable using their video uh, connections, right? So you, you initiate a conference call with someone, have a conversation, and the ombuds will be on the video. And the fact is, is that it forces the ombuds to sort of uh, take some of the attention away from connecting with the individual, having a personal connection, and focus on the technology, right? So it's a big challenge to have this sort of additional burden on people to learn about all these technology things. And maybe, Adam, I'll also add, too, and then maybe that was where you were going with the question. So, uh, you know, how COVID-19 has affected our plans. I also like to think of it in how COVID-19 has affected our plans for Ombuds Day itself, right? So last year we had... Uh, three nationally coordinated events, uh, one in Boulder, one in Chicago and Washington, D.C. And when I uh, uh, took the reins as the chair for the subcommittee this year, my vision was having a ton of different in-person events, you know, maybe doubling, going from, uh, I can see John, uh, John smile, because I remember, uh, you know, going from three events to six events and maybe doing events at a bunch of different law schools and doing uh, events at, at graduate schools that focus on conflict resolution and COVID-19 has sort of changed all that dynamic, right? So people are struggling to keep up with their workloads now and certainly we don't want to host any 
in-person events. So now we sort of made the transition to focus on, on virtual events and virtual opportunities like webinars. And that kind of brings us around to, I, I guess, the impetus for, for this podcast is you know, Ombuds Day 2020 is uh, coming up in the very near future. And Ombuds Day, as you said, used to be you know, these events that were scattered around the country. It's not in you know this very centralized event where everyone you know comes to um, comes to one location for a big conference. It was a really interesting and uh, unique event that was um, coordinated by by the ABA dispute resolution section. Um, would you like to give kind of a broad overview of what Ombuds Day is and what kind of the plan for 2020 is? Sure, sure. So yeah, so the theme that we're using for Ombuds Day 2020 is. Ombuds, unusual name, important service. Uh, we actually used that same theme last year and in polling uh, various ombuds across the nation, people felt like that uh, theme really resonated with them. And so we decided to, uh, to use it again this year. So the primary goal of Ombuds Day is to improve public awareness of ombuds. And all of our actions are intended to first say, educate the public about the role uh, explain the variety of services that ombuds provide as, as John and I, I think have highlighted the different ombuds provide very, very different services to the constituents. Uh, encourage the greater use of ombuds programs and services. So certainly uh, many organizations and uh, you know, even some universities don't have ombud programs. And so I think we're trying to support the establishment of additional ombuds programs and to really highlight the value. So I think of importance as equating to value. So highlight the value that ombuds bring to the institutions and the constituents they serve. And maybe I, I, I think I mentioned before, like different titles, arbitration, medi mediation, or arbitrator and mediator. And, you know, titles like doctor, lawyer, plumber, electrician, these are all titles that are generally understood by the public, public and not so much with ombuds. And, uh, you know, in fact, uh, I'll give you a really short story. I had somebody who was introducing me to present at a public event. I was presenting to manual, uh, medical device manufacturers uh, to help them how to resolve conflicts. And the person introducing me was sort of, he had paused during his introduction. And usually it's because they're not sure how to pronounce my last name. And so then I interject and walk and I, and I help them out. But in fact, he didn't have any problems pronouncing my last name he could not pronounce the word ombudsman. So he was like ombudsman, like he had no idea. And I think that really highlights what we're trying to do with ombuds day is help people appreciate what ombuds do and at least they're pronounced the words. And, I, and I'll add too, I mean, I think you mentioned uh, different events, although, you know, we're coordinating some of these sort of national virtual events, uh, really ombuds day and the effort itself is intended to support regional and local individuals that maybe need a reason to go to their organization and say, hey, I want to talk about the ombud services and I want to reach out. So we're really hoping that people use some of the, the tools that John and other people have created on the Ombuds Day Toolkit uh, to sort of take those materials, adapt them to meet their needs and host their own virtual events uh, for their own constituents. So again, we're trying to provide sort of the structure and some of those tools, uh, but in fact, uh, we want everyone in, in places across the nation to do their own events whenever it's convenient for them. Ken, thank you for that. That's a really great description. And one of the things I, I thought was a really great idea about Ombuds Day in the past is that it does really encourage these local organizations 
um, to host their own events and get um, kind of these local practitioners more involved. Um, but one question I had was, so I know a big part of Ombuds Day is educating people about what an Ombuds does. So who, who is the target audience for Ombuds Day? It's obviously it's more than just people that are already already Ombuds people, but who else is um, the committee looking to bring in? Sure, sure. So, so I'll start off with, you know, we welcome everyone to attend the virtual events, right? So they're open public events, uh, registration free is free. I would say uh, our target audience includes those that are uh, first maybe currently serving as ombuds, right? So our social and professional networks are mostly with the ombuds. So we would expect a lot of ombuds uh, to attend, but also those with related responsibilities. Maybe they have a background or specialize in conflict resolution, mediation, arbitration, alternative dispute resolution, or maybe they're considering a, a professional role. Maybe they're in some sort of conflict resolution role now, but they maybe are considering becoming an ombuds uh, now or sometime in the future. And then finally, uh, those that are considering establishing an ombuds program. So maybe you have a CEO of a large organization that uh, COVID-19 and some of the other challenges that are occurring, they see an opportunity to have an omb establish an ombuds program within their organization to help uh, address some of those issues uh, proactively. And then in terms of the, the day itself, we're, we're kind of planning a, an Ombuds 101 opening presentation by Chuck Howard. He's the executive director of IOA, and I would say uh, almost every Ombuds has, uh, has heard of Chuck. Uh, then we're gonna have a, a panel discussion with representatives from some of the professional organizations, such as the International Ombuds Association, the US Ombuds Association, the Coalition of Federal Ombuds, I'm a member and uh, NASOP, the National Association for State Long-Term Care Ombudsman, uh, followed by some opportunities for Q&A with the panel. And then we intend to sort of make the events uh, interactive with polling and chat functionality to sort of encourage a dialogue. So for those that are not ombuds, I think it'll be interesting to see, uh, we'll, we'll pose some questions and see the answers that they have and see the diversity in the answers and to sort of not only capture the events for uh, the virtual event, but to use those as maybe the ombuds committee that uh, John chairs, uh, you know, the other 364 days a year and whatever, whatever they might have planned. That's great. And it sounds like ombuds day as it's organized is well suited to deal with uh, everyone working remotely and um, all the logistical issues that arise with COVID-19 going on right now. Um, so I guess on a logistical note, um, how can people attend, quote, quote unquote, attend or get more involved with Ombuds Day if they, if they want to be? Yeah, so by the time this uh, podcast is released, we should have links to register for the event on the ABA Dispute Resolution section website. Uh, and I, I should mention that, that although we're hosting uh, two events, so one is going to be at 10 a.m. Eastern and another is at 4 p.m. Eastern to basically accommodate a larger group, maybe that people have conflicts for one of the times. But there are also a number of other events, webinars leading up to and after Ombuds Day that are also being coordinated. So you'll be able to go to the ABA dispute resolution section website and register for those events. Uh, but I would also uh, recommend as an alternative, if you, if you aren't familiar with the long string of letters that you have to uh, enter to find that ABA website, we actually established uh, our own uh, domain, ombudsday.com. And right now that, uh, that site posts 
uh, points to the Ombuds Day Toolkit that John and others that were involved in the Ombuds Subcommittee had created uh, for, for 2018 and 2019. So the easiest place to go to, to find out about all of these events is on the Ombuds Day uh, website. Uh, ombud, again, ombudsday.com. Uh, alternatively, if you're interested in learning more, you can reach out to us at ombudsday at gmail.com. So we set up a simple email address that helps us uh, obtaining the proclamations. We're going to have a YouTube channel set up, so we'll be posting some of those on social media, and you can learn more about the events. And then uh, if you're a Twitter user, you get your news and other information off of Twitter. We, uh, I would encourage you to follow uh, at ABA underscore ombuds. So that's the ABA Ombuds Committee, uh, or follow and or follow at Ombuds Day, and that's the Ombuds Day subcommittee. So if you follow both of those, you'll probably hear about the specifics of the events, and they'll include links as well. Yeah, so it's the second Thursday of October, which this year is October 8th, 2020. So that's Thursday, October 8th, 2020. And again, the two national virtual events are at 10 a.m. Eastern and 4 p.m. Eastern, probably about 90 minutes in length, but there are a number of other events already being coordinated. I think there's one event being run out of Arizona that happens to conflict with the second one, but they have some great content, and, uh, you know, you'll be able to choose from a variety of different events, and, and again, we'll post them all on the ombudsday.com website. Well, John and Ken, thank you both so much for taking the time to talk with me today. I really enjoyed learning even more about um, what it means to be an ombuds. Um, I love talking with Liz last year and getting um, kind of the the big overview of um, what it means of ombudsmanship, as we called it. Um, but it's been great to learn more, even more. And I hope that everyone gets involved with Ombuds Day um, and attend some of the great events that you have planned. And we'll link to all the websites that you mentioned so people can access that easily. Um, but again, thank you for taking the time to talk with me today. It was uh, a great conversation. Yeah, thank you, Adam. I appreciate it. Maybe I could end with an Ombuds Day joke. And again, Ombuds Day jokes are not common, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you one here. So I have an Ombuds Day joke to share with you. Are you ready, Adam? Go for it. Okay. I have an Ombuds Day joke, but I can't tell you because it's confidential. So only an ombuds would appreciate that. And I think that highlights sort of the challenges of the ombuds role, right? So a lot of what we do is confidential. It's one of those core tenants. And I think it really highlights some of the challenges and is a little bit humorous at the same time. So I thought it would end on a little bit of an upbeat. I'm sure all of our, uh, all of our ombuds listeners will be, will be rolling over with laughter. Thank you both again. I really appreciate it. And I'm sure our listeners will um, be joining you for so thank you again for taking the time to talk with me. I'm sure all of our listeners will uh, look forward to joining you and learning more about what it means to be an ombuds on Thursday, October 8th, uh, the 2020 Ombuds Day. Okay, thank you, Adam. Thanks, Adam. And listeners, thank you for tuning in, and I hope you get the chance to check out the Ombuds Day events virtually on October 8th.